A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello and welcome to a DTNS Labs experiment that we're calling Technically Parenting. My name is Rich Straffolino, and I am a relatively new parent. Uh, just welcomed my second child, uh, second one in 13 months. So, yeah, I'm kind of still learning this parenting thing, and I thought it'd be interesting to do a DTNS Labs looking at the technology choices and issues affecting parents. And my perspective as a relatively new parent, we have a number of parents uh, kind of in the DTNS extended family. I thought it'd be interesting to get perspective on over time. For today's first episode, though, I wanted to talk about something that was an issue for me kind of when my, my first child, my son, was uh, arriving. And I kind of realized that I was going to need to up my camera game. Um, for a long time, I've been a, I wouldn't call myself a photographer, but uh, I'm a photography enthusiast. I enjoy taking uh, images. I enjoy trying to get the most out of photo gear. I uh, started using film, um, you know, as far, you know, in the 90s when I was, uh, you know, a young teen and stuff like that. Uh, did some of that in college. Transitioned over to digital. I've had a, uh, before my son was born, I had a Olympus Pen camera for a number of years. Enjoyed that. Uh, was, you know, I uh, ran into some issues with that over time and I realized that was not going to be the ideal camera for photographing a new baby and kind of, you know, saving those memories that uh, you want to, you know, remember all that cliche parent stuff. Um, so I wanted to run down kind of what my thought process was and research for finding a, you know, a new parent camera, as it were, and uh, maybe to help out some parents out there that were kind of looking uh, for that as well, as well as kind of framing overall how to what, what I feel is a really productive way to approach camera purchases in general uh, in this day and age when, uh, you know, not everybody is buying a camera because we all have one in our pocket. Uh, so kind of just to review uh, the things that, uh, you know, was kind of on my checklist when I was thinking about, you know, what exactly I wanted and what my current camera setup wasn't really providing me. Uh, the first thing was pocketability. Um, I've gotten spo so spoiled by having, you know, I've had um, Android phones for a number of years, recently got an iPhone 8, um, and I've gotten spoiled by just have, always having a reliable camera in my pocket. And I know that if I got a big DSLR or a mirrorless camera system or something like that, I would never take it with me anywhere. It would sit on the coffee table. I'd forget the bag. It's just one more thing to lug around when you're already carrying around, you know, a diaper bag or two, a stroller, 
all that accoutrement that it comes with being a parent, the last thing you want is to have to grab that camera bag. So I just wanted something I could throw in my pocket, kind of always have on me, maybe just, you know, leave in the center console of the car and just always have it wherever we're going. Uh, the other big thing is focusing in low light. Um, I don't know if, if you've never been a parent before, especially with a brand new baby, there's a lot of babies sitting around. And usually you don't want the light too bright. It's usually, uh, in my case, I live in a split level, so we're in kind of the lower family area there. Lights are pretty low, especially uh, once the sun goes down. Not exactly the best uh, uh, lighting setup for photography. And I've ran across some issues uh, with my smartphone, you know, kind of initially, and definitely something that I wanted to make a priority. Uh, the other thing I really wanted was for it to be usable by non-photographers. Uh, you know, I have a number of family members that, hey, I would like to be in a photo at some point with my child. Um, maybe my wife has sees the camera, wants to go pick it up. I don't want uh, the interface or a lot of the tooling around it to be so intimidating that people feel like they can't pick it up. And that, I feel like that would definitely be the case with a DSLR or something that's a little bit more uh, technically minded. Even if it is accessible, I didn't want it to appear, even appear to be um, so enthusiast uh, uh, focused that a you know someone else picking it up wouldn't have any idea how to use it. That's kind of a, a more vague criteria, but uh, something I definitely wanted to take into account. And the last thing was affordable. Kids are expensive, and so are cameras. So I'm not going to skimp on my kid. I'm going to <laughs> if I have to save money somewhere, it's going to be on the camera, folks. Let's face it. Uh, so I didn't want to break the bank, and that was kind of a challenge because really the dedicated camera market in the the age of the smartphone there there really isn't that entry level there is i mean there are there are entry level dslrs sure that you can find on sale around christmas time they'll sell you one that's four years old and it'll you know you can get it for i don't know 300 bucks or something like that and then you have to get lenses on top of that not something i was interested in so that was a little bit of a challenge uh to focus on affordability but the really great thing about this is when it comes to doing your research having these clear criteria in mind it really narrows down your choices and made it a little easier, honestly, for me than the other times that I have went to go focus on cameras. I wanted to get, you know, oh, I want to get the best overall camera at the, you know, this one specific price point. And when you do that, you end up with a camera that's usually good at a lot of things, not great at the things you end up really caring about. And then it's just a lot of frustration um, over time, at least in my experience. I know that was with my Olympus. I, I kind of went in with the Olympus Pen, the Micro Four Thirds camera, thinking that this was going to be, you know, this this great general purpose camera. It's a good camera for a lot of things, but not for what I ended up using it for. So there you have it. Of course, the the big question is, can I just get by with the smartphone? Isn't that going to be fine for everything that I want to shoot? And I'm not going to lie, the majority of the photos that I that I've taken of my kids have been with my smartphone, even after, you know, what the camera I ended up purchasing. And that's because the smartphone is a really great camera. Um, you know, Apple, Samsung, Google, they've all invested billions of dollars in research. Uh, they, you know, Apple reportedly has this amazingly huge team dedicated to just working on the imaging, the sensors, the optics on the iPhone. So, even though it's a relatively small sensor, even though there are some issues around it, it's not surprising that it ends up being a really great camera. It's supremely portable. It has the best editing and sharing tools that you're ever going to find on any camera. Every camera is terrible uh, when it comes to uh, sharing, like any dedicated camera. Even if they have Wi-Fi included, good camera Wi-Fi is like the worst smartphone app ever. Um, so just being able to easily share stuff kind of ups the, the, the smartphone as a camera you know, in today's age. So if that's the case, why go with a discrete camera? Uh, like I said, the low light performance on, uh, even on an iPhone 8, I recently got an iPhone 8, the low light performance is just not quite there. 
um, especially when it comes to focus. Uh, I can deal with maybe a little bit of a of blurry photo if, if you know my kid moves their arm really quick and babies are really twitchy, uh, especially you know when you're trying to capture that one moment when they're smiling or something like that. They're real twitchy, so it's like okay, there's gonna be some blurring. I can do a burst mode, whatever. The bigger problem is in low light. Most smartphones that I have used really hunt for focus. You'll hit the shutter button and there'll be a substantial delay where you're going to miss some shots uh, in that case. And I was experiencing that and it was really frustrating me and just wasn't something that I was willing to compromise on. Um, You also get a situation where kind of before having kids, I really didn't care about getting prints all that often. If I was going to a big event or something like that, if I was going to a wedding or something like that, maybe I would maybe get a couple prints, maybe around the holidays, something like that. Having kids, I actually find I do, we, we were printing photo books, we're sending prints to, you know, framed photos to grandparents and stuff like that. And when you combine the small sensor of a smartphone and the digital smoothing that they have to do, especially when you're shooting at higher ISOs, those pictures end up looking really great on a, you know, at a five inch phone sharing on Facebook and stuff like that, where you're really not getting a ton of resolution on that. Even printing four by sixes or anything bigger than that, you know, God forbid a five by seven you're really going to start to notice some blotchiness and a lot of image quality issues as compared to a dedicated camera. Um, even my Olympus Pen, you know, the, the resolution on that is the same as my iPhone. Uh, it's a 12 megapixel. They're both 12 megapixel sensors, but the, the image quality uh, in low light is, you can just tell uh, in prints. And it's because the iPhone really doesn't, the, the primary focus when they're developing that isn't to print your photos. They realize that that's only for a small subset of people who are probably going to be interested in getting a dedicated camera anyway. The other big issue with, at least for the iPhone, in my opinion, the, the, what they prioritize when they develop the camera for that is not shooting uh, a twitchy baby that's flailing arms and occasionally smiling uh, when it has gas or something like that. It's really geared more for selfie, pose shots, food shots, uh, scenery, uh, especially when you're talking about low light. The iPhone now supports uh, optical image stabilization, I believe, on all models. That's really awesome. It helps you when you're you know, holding it, eliminate some of that handshake. That's good for when you're shooting something in low light that's not moving, and you're the only thing that's going to be moving, and it, re- it kind of eliminates that single point of failure. When you're adding in you know, that the, the subject is moving as well. And you really can't tell you, you can, I mean, believe me, you can tell a three month old not to move. It's not going to work. Uh, their language comprehension is not that great. Body control, not that great. Uh, so really the, a lot of the, the focus and tooling of a smartphone camera really isn't designed, uh, for the subject that you're going to be shooting as a new parent. And so, uh, that was just kind of a source of frustration for me as well, leading me to a dedicated camera. So after doing some research, I kind of narrowed it down to uh, about four cameras that I was looking at, uh, and then the one I ended up going with. Kind of when you first start Googling like small, pocketable, uh, enthusiast class camera, the first candidate you're going to come across, and probably the last for a lot of buyers, depending on your priorities, is the Sony RX100 line. Uh, they've now on their sixth iteration of this, I believe, and it really does lead the enthusiast compact category. Um, it's it's going to be your first Google result, and and for good reason. It takes really good photos. It's a really well, relatively well thought out design, and really doesn't. It really minimizes the compromises you have to make to get a a larger sensor in a smaller body. Um, this is uh, when I'm when I'm talking about enthusiast compact cameras. These are cameras that kind of look like a typical point and shoot, but they have a one inch sensor uh, in them. For comparison's sake, the the current iPhone uses a one third inch sensor, um, so it is, you know, it's kind of like uh, going from 
uh, if you want to talk in terms of sensor size, like a 40-inch TV, or not even a 40-inch, like a 30-inch TV to an 80-inch TV in terms of the difference of uh, size. You give you a sense of literally the physical sensor is much larger in these cameras. Uh, it takes, like I said, great images, has really nice movie settings. Unsurprising for Sony, they really lead the pack in a lot of ways um, for more consumer-focused video uh, in these kind of cameras. Um, it has a really nice wide open aperture uh, when you're talking about um, from the uh, model, the RX 103 through the six, uh, or I'm sorry, through the five, excuse me. Uh, it opens up to F 1.8, uh, which in camera terms means it just opens really wide and gets a lot of light in. You can get a really shallow depth of field, which is great for portraits. And uh, especially when you have a messy room behind a baby, you really want to blur that background and just focus on the cute baby. Uh, the problem, though, uh, with this camera is it's really expensive, even when you're looking at some of these older models that they have out. The latest uh, model, the uh, RX106, is starting around $1,200. Um, that is super expensive. Um, I love my child, but uh, $1,200, that's, uh, that's where I'm cutting the line right there. Um, looking back at the 5 and the 4, those go for about nine dollars to $800 new online. You can get some refurbs and some open boxes. They go very quickly, however, because this camera really is in demand. It has this name recognition out there and its reputation for being a really great camera. So it's really you have to, you have to really hunt to find deals on those refurbs and open boxes, which means you're probably going to end up paying the new price or very close to it uh, because the demand is there, the market is there. Um, the other issue that I've I've seen uh, with this camera is the ergonomics aren't that great. I said I wanted a non a non intimidating technical camera. This has this really does look like a classic point and shoot. Uh, it has a totally flat front. There's no grip to it. Um, which maybe doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but again, maybe I'm going to be holding a baby while I'm shooting it, you know, taking a shot of another baby. Uh, when you're a parent, you have your hands full all the time, and a slippery camera with no grip is not something that was really appealing to me. It wasn't necessarily a deal breaker, but just another kind of red flag there. Uh, there are also no touchscreen controls. This is all dials and stuff. So that does kind of take away from some of the user friendliness of it. I think most people, when they see any kind of uh, device with a screen anymore. Just assume it's a touch screen. Um, makes focusing a lot easier in a lot of instances. So uh, again, kind of uh, a red screen there. The uh, next camera I was kind of looking at is a little bit of an older camera, but it's a it, it was a really cool camera and I was looking at it. It's the Panasonic LX100. Uh, you may notice that it sounds quite a bit like the Sony RX100, and that's because I believe when it came out, it was supposed to be a little bit more of a competitor to this. This actually uses a larger sensor, so a one-inch sensor. This uses uh, what's called a micro four-thirds sensor, which I believe is about a third bigger than a, uh, a one-inch sensor. I'm, I'm not 100%. It's basically a sensor kind of in between what you would find on a DSLR and these one-inch enthusiast compacts. So it'll let in a lot of light. Uh, it's slightly cropped in this camera, uh, meaning that the, the lens doesn't... Uh, put light on all of the sensor area. It does crop it a little bit, but still is, is quite uh, significantly larger than uh, the sensor in something like the RX100. Um, has pretty good camera ergonomics. This is a little bit more of a, of a classic kind of throwback design uh, for a camera. It has a nice grip. Um, the lens has a little bit of something to grab onto. Speaking of the lens, it does open up to f1.7, uh, which is pretty cool. Even a, just a tiny bit wider. Probably you're never going to notice the difference uh, compared to f1.8 on the RX100, but nice to note there. A lot of issues, though, that when I, we, you know, this is this was the one that I thought, you know, if I was just buying a camera for myself, a small enthusiast camera, this is probably the one I'd buy for myself. But there are a number of issues that kind of disqualified it, I guess, down the road. Uh, there's no 4K video. I mean, 4K is nice to have. It's kind of future-proofing your video. Um, so it was, a, you know, a little bit of red flag there. Uh, there's a lens cap on the camera. This is going to come up a, a bit on some of my other de decisions on cameras. 
But the idea of something that's small, easy to lose, and that a child will probably want to chew on isn't something that I wanted to invite into my camera life. Um, so seeing that in the LX100 was, um, and then also it's another thing to have to remember to take off when you go, you know, you hand someone your camera, hey, just take this photo really quick. I know it seems dumb, like, hey, dummy, take off the lens cap, but uh, you, you never have to take a lens cap off your cell phone. So I, I feel like that's a, a little bit of uh, not not quite uh, newbie friendly. Um, it has a fixed LCD screen, meaning you can't flip it around for selfies or articulate it to kind of avoid bright light that's on the screen. Uh, it's pretty much the only camera in this class uh, that doesn't have an articulating LCD, at least uh, having some slight articulation. Uh, there is no touchscreen at all, and it's kind of low in the megapixel count. It's only 12 megapixels, which probably isn't going to be a big deal. Um, honestly, sometimes when you have lower megapixels on a larger sensor, that means each individual pixel can have more light on it. So the low light performance may be better. However, megapixels do matter when you're actually are making prints. Not that I'm going to be making a ton of eight by tens or larger photos where it's really going to become an issue. Uh, still, I, you know, uh, again, seeing the resolution difference between 12 and something like a 20 megapixel camera. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from two black guys. With good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. When you're making prints, you know, all that kind of combined to a very make it a very cool camera, maybe not the one that I need as a new parent. And then the other one that I had considered buying before my ultimate purchase was the Fujifilm X70, and they just released an update to this called the XF10. Um, this actually has the largest sensor of the bunch. This uses kind of a DSLR class size sensor called an APS-C sensor. It's a really huge sensor, kind of cool. I was I was very attracted to this. This was one of the things that really pushed me toward this. Combined with that, it's not a very expensive camera. It usually hits about $600, which in this class, I mean, yes, that's a lot of money, absolutely. In this class, that's kind of middle of the road for what you're going to pay, and and honestly, more toward the low end, especially compared to the RX100. So you got a really big sensor, relatively low cost, all metal body, all things that I like. 
Um, however, the kind of the thing that made me pause and ultimately kind of disqualified it in my mind is it it's more of a street camera um, because it has a fixed uh, focal length lens. Uh, it only has an 18.5 millimeter lens, which is the equivalent to like a 27 millimeter lens on a 35 millimeter camera. And it only opens up to f 2.8. Now with that, what basically what that means, it, it doesn't quite allow in as much light in an absolute sense as something like uh, the LX100 or the RX100. However, combined with the larger sensor size, I really didn't think that it was going to make for worse low light photography. I think the bigger sensor size kind of trumps the lack of a wider aperture. However, I'm not a huge zoom uh, photography user. I, I really don't use it all that much in any camera that I've used. But when you need it, it is nice to have. And especially as kids get older, they start, uh, you know, doing things where you don't have to be right on top of them. Otherwise, they'll die. Um, it is nice to be able to be able to zoom and, and maybe catch some moments that you might otherwise miss. Um, so, you know, kind of having a fixed focal length and a, a, such a short lens where you're really going to have to be on top of your subject if you're going to do any kind of portrait work or anything like that little bit of a, of a deal breaker for me. Um, and then also video is basically an afterthought on most uh, Fujifilm, uh, uh, these kind of style Fujifilm cameras. These are their kind of retro rangefinder cameras. They look super, super cool, um, but they're very much focused on photography first. And then they have a video setting. You can fool around with it. It's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, so that those were kind of the, the, the candidates. Ultimately, though, I decided to go with another Panasonic camera, um, the confusingly closely named to the LX100, the Panasonic LX10. Uh, and, and kind of some of the reasons I went around with this, this offers the brightest lens that you can find in the market, but at a reasonable, fairly reasonable price. I got mine as an open box special for just around $500. Um, this opens up to f1.4, uh, which, you know, that doesn't sound like a big difference from f1.7. Uh, pretty significant, though. It really gives you some range to really shoot that wide open and really be able to not have to use your flash in almost all settings, as long as you, you know, you're, you're willing to fiddle with some settings. And it makes it really nice. It has a really well thought out touchscreen uh, that articulates on the back. It doesn't have a full articulation, basically just flips up to let you do a selfie. However, I have to say, I was really skeptical about how much I would ever use this. It turns out if you want a child to look at a camera, the best way to do that is to flip up something that shows a picture of them and is super bright. Tends, turns out it really attracts people's eyes, especially young children, makes for a really great way to get them to look at your camera. Um, and, and then having the touchscreen there as well. Some of these cameras I've seen uh, in, in demos and stuff like that, or I've fooled around with in the store, they have touchscreens. They are not intuitive in any way. DSLRs especially are horrendous usually when it comes to touchscreen controls. In terms of being not intuitive, you have no idea what's going to happen when you touch something. With the LX10, the touchscreen is, every, first of all, all elements, on everything on the screen that you see that looks like a button is a button. You can touch it. It's responsive. It's still, the, the resolution on the touchscreen itself is especially compared to a modern smartphone, really not all that great. Um, some of the buttons you can definitely, it's not a kind of a retina class screen to borrow some marketing words from Apple. Uh, it is still very nice though. It's very responsive. You can set, um, you know, you can, you can do focusing, you can do uh, changing the ISO, you can, you know, change uh, the shutter speed, pretty much any setting that you're ever going to want. And you can really dig in actually, and you can set virtual function buttons on the touchscreen to quickly bring up uh, particular settings. There's kind of one touch access to wireless transfers, which is kind of nice. Like I said, all wireless transfers on dedicated cameras are garbage. This is just the least garbage. So kind of nice to have as well. Um, so yeah, the touchscreen was a big win for me and really helpful when, you know, I ask someone, I hand the camera to someone, hey, take a photo of me and my kid. Uh, 
they go, oh, how do I focus? Just literally tap on my face. Just tap on my face. We're good. Uh, so super nice to have that as well. Uh, there's lots of customizable controls. Um, so when I really want to geek out and get my camera geek on, uh, there are, you know, there's a customizable um, focus ring that you can set any function to. There's a dedicated aperture ring that actually clicks between the f-stops, which is super nice. Uh, and there's also an exposure compensation dial on the back that can be mapped to any number of functions that you want. So really nice to have those physical controls as well as a responsive touchscreen. There's no lens cap also. Yay! Uh, that was the other thing I didn't mention about the uh, Fujifilm X70. That's another lens cap camera. Uh, this one, it just covers it up when you turn it off, uncovers it when you turn it on, makes it super easy to use, um, and uh, sticky child fingers will not ruin it when it's often just kind of sitting on a coffee table, and you forgot that it was there, and they pick it up, they try and chew it. The other thing that's really great about this camera is it charges over micro USB. Uh, like I said, uh, kind of the idea for this is I can always have it in my pocket, I can just kind of leave it in the car, and when we get somewhere that I want to take a photo, it's there. The great thing is with micro USB, I have micro USB cable in the car. So even if the camera is completely dead, usually by the time I get to my destination, I can at least have some charge on it. The battery life on this camera is not class leading in any way. You can you get hundreds of shots um, on, a, on a full battery charge. So usually, um, unless it's something like where you're at a, a you know an event, an all day event, and you're just shooting all day, yeah, you're you're probably going to need to charge it and top it off at some point. For most cases, um, especially when I'm using this at home and I have a charger readily available, not an issue, but micro USB means pretty much wherever I'm at, someone has a micro USB charger around, nice to have. Uh, it has reliable focus in low light, and I will qualify that by saying it's not the fastest. Um, the Sony RX100s have really prioritized having super fast uh, autofocus. This isn't the fastest. It's not slow. It's way faster in low light than a smartphone. And But the, the big thing is it's reliable. When it focuses on something, in general, it's making the right decisions. And you can kind of, they have a bunch of different modes. You can set it to automatically detect faces. You can detect it to center weight. You can detect it to use a standard 49-point grid. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can set it. Or you can set a, a set area on the touchscreen itself to always be in focus. So very nice to uh, have that and have it be reliable. Uh, and then the other thing is it has a, a 3x zoom on it, which isn't all that great. Um, you know, if you've used a a uh, iPhone Plus model that has the 2x zoom, you know, it, it makes a big difference when you can't get any closer to a subject. And so having 3x is even a little better. Uh, honestly, I I do use that fairly rarely, but I, but I see as the kids get older uh, that being uh, really important as well. So yeah, that was the camera I ended up with, the Panasonic LX10, kind of the best combination of reasonable price, pocketability, ability to shoot in low light, and kind of user friendliness. I've had that since uh, November of 2017. I've been using that uh, now, uh, taking pictures of two kids. Um, so in, in that time, it, like I said, this this I didn't buy this thinking that this was going to be the best camera or the perfect camera. It's just the best camera that I found in my research for my specific use case. And I feel like that's the approach you have to take when you're buying a dedicated camera or determining if you need to buy a dedicated camera. If you can kind of hit all those criteria, then it's a probably a good idea to buy it. That being said, I have had some issues with the camera. I mostly end up shooting in RAW, um, which means I have to kind of process the photos after I take them at a later date um, to really uh, get the most out of it. The JPEGs tend to skew a little greenish um, to my eye, kind of like how uh, Samsung cameras, uh, you know, are have a reputation of, of kind of oversaturating a lot of images. The JPEGs just kind of lean a little green. It's not a... a terrible issue. If I have to shoot in JPEG, it's really not a big deal. Um, but just from my eye, I like shooting in RAW on that. Like I said, focus is reliable, but isn't the fastest in its class. Then again, I'm not willing to pay twice as much to get that faster focus. So it's a, it's a trade-off that I accept. I'm just not 
all that happy with. Big note on this, and this is something I totally did not realize when I initially kind of was looking in this enthusiast class uh, kind of camera, you definitely need to upgrade your SD card if you're not using a pro caliber SD card. I was using just a generic uh, Transcend Class 10 card that wasn't particularly rated um, all that well. If you know anything about SD cards, there's Class 4, Class 10, and you know uh, some various classes kind of in between. Those are just those really don't mean anything. You have to kind of look for the the pro caliber cards that have a guaranteed kind of read write rate. And I ended up having to buy an SD card that uh, was able to do like 90 megabytes per second to really get full ability to do burst shooting on this camera, especially when you're shooting in raw. Otherwise, it would crap out at about uh, four pictures or so. So uh, it's something just to keep in mind. A little bit of additional expense. Again, when you're spending hundreds of dollars on a camera, another $40 for a high-end SD card isn't all that bad, but something to keep in mind. Uh, the 4K video, uh, I, like I said, for, video is uh, is a nice to have. It isn't something that I, I regularly do with my camera. Uh, but the, a note on the uh, the LX10, it does crop the sensor to do 4K. It doesn't do the full sensor readout. Not really a big deal for me. Honestly, it's like I get some free zoom out of the camera when I go to shoot video, which is kind of nice. Um, but something to keep in mind if you're a real video enthusiast, maybe not the camera for you. Also doesn't have an external mic jack. Um, so you're we're left with either on-camera uh, audio, which is... It's going to be pretty bad um, consider compared to using a dedicated microphone, just something to keep in mind. Um, and then there is some weirdness with, uh, you know, I mentioned the aperture ring, which is super cool. And I love playing with it when the camera's off even. So it's a great fidget toy. However, it's only available in aperture priority mode. Otherwise, it's basically just dead. You can't configure it or hotkey it to anything else, which is just dumb. Um, and it's a bigger issue because I was expecting this to be fixed in a firmware update from Panasonic, kind of letting you, uh, you know, be able to customize that in different modes other than aperture priority. However, after two years, there have been zero firmware updates. We're still on 1.0 firmware on this camera. A little bit of a concern that they haven't updated it to that. I hope it's not going, I hope it will receive some feature and bug updates as time goes on. That being said, it's not a very buggy camera. It would just be nice to get some more uh, features, you know, for a camera that I've already paid for. Not something I expect, but something to keep an eye on. So that's kind of my first take uh, here at DTNS Labs with Technically Parenting. Kind of a, uh, I hope this gave you a rough guide and, and kind of my thought process for as a new parent, kind of the priorities that I had, the the field of cameras that I was looking at. And I'm not even saying that the, the LX10 is the perfect new parent camera. If you are super into photography and you don't mind lugging around a camera, go ahead and get that DSLR. Heck, if you're into it, you already own that DSLR. You already prefer to do it. Um, and so, you know, this, I guess this kind of uh, podcast you don't really need to listen to. I'm sorry. Uh, didn't mean to waste your time. Uh, the other thing, though, is if you're super into taking more posed cameras, you know, if, if you're, if the big priority for you in your photography of your new family is maybe doing, you know, your once a month photos where you have a very elaborate setup and you have a, a board with, you know, customizable letters on it and all sorts of numbers to indicate the month of your child. Um, if you're doing that and you already have it set up in a, in a well-lit space, honestly, your smartphone's probably going to take photos every bit as nice as what you could get off of, uh, off of a dedicated camera. And especially if you're not going to make prints of those, if you're, those are strictly going to live on Facebook, uh, on Twitter and, you know, just sharing kind of texting them to your family and friends, annoying them, I'm sure to no doubt, you know, you, you might not need a dedicated camera. Uh, this is very much uh, designed for a, a very specific set 
uh, requirements that I had. But again, I feel like that's how you get to having a great camera purchase is being very restrictive on your requirements, really narrowing the field and making sure you're not just kind of, you know, kind to go for the the thing that's not good at or great at any one thing, but good at a lot of things. Because ultimately, I think that leads to frustration. All right, that's uh, just about it for me. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'd love to know if you let me know if you have any feedback. Leave a comment on this post for uh, this DTNS Labs technically parenting episode. I uh, have uh, some more episodes kind of in mind. Uh, maybe doing some interviews with uh, some other technology uh, inclined parents and kind of talking uh, all sorts of stuff about that. So until next time we meet, remember everybody, have a super sparkly day. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.